Good afternoon. It is Henry Harris. Welcome to the Spiritual Foundations of Mental Health. Today's topic, big heart, small heart. We are um, jumping in. Here we go. So what is this call about? This call is a discussion of your about our unconditional well-being, our unconditional mental well-being. There is a spiritual foundation to our mental well-being. It is not the case that our well-being is dependent on anything of this world. And it could be that our experience of our mental well-being could be awful. It could be that we perceive or experience ourselves to be filled with anxiety, filled with, uh, with sadness, with distress. All of that would not be an actual measuring stick of our well-being because our well-being is not dependent on any of the events of this world. It's not dependent on our feelings in the moment. Our, our well-being is unconditional. It is here. It's possible that I, it might not be visible to me. I might misunderstand what is my well-being, but it's always there. And why is that? Because the feelings that I'm having about life, moment to moment to moment, those feelings are an experience, not of the world around me or of my past. It's not like I'm actually having an experience directly of the world out there, the world of my past, the world of my future. I'm having a feeling of a now. I'm having a now feeling. And that now feeling kind of presents as like a description of reality. So when I feel worry or fear, and I look around and I say, well, where's that coming from? It happens quite quickly. I'll kind of come upon an answer. I'll come upon the answer of, oh, it's because uh, I don't know what's going to be about X, Y, or Z in the next month or two or three. I don't know what's going to be about this. And so I'll say to myself, oh, it's the, it's the future and the uncertainty about the future that is the source of this feeling of fear or distress. And then innocently, but mistakenly, because I've concluded that my feelings are coming from the events of the future or the uncertainty associated with those events, then I'll, I'll try to uh, dig in to find a solution to that. I'll, I'll get into kind of thinking mode, analyz, anal, analysis mode. I'll try my honest and sincerest best to help myself, which is, of course, a normal and, and reasonable thing to do. Who wouldn't want to help himself? When I get, when I get a headache, I take it a Tylenol. When I have, um, when I'm hungry, I go and buy, I, I make myself something to eat. I address the discomforts of my life based on the fact that I can say to myself, well, if I'm feeling this discomfort, there's probably a cause, let's go address it. When I feel fear about the future, and I assume that it's coming from the future, I look to manage that, to to deal with it in a way that I now the problem is of course it's not like I'm I'm suggesting that we should disregard proactive choices and dealing or planning for the future. It's just that in many cases the the way we go about anticipating and and addressing our future is not it, it's based on kind of a, a reactivity. It's based on a, a stress response that is really entering into a place where we don't have control. Right at that moment that we decide or we conclude, this fear that I'm having is coming from the future events, and I need to 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 get it to get my life to go this way or get this circumstance to go that way, and I'm now encountering something that I don't have control over. That's where I I kind of dig myself deeper into 
the the difficulty. I kind of I kind of forge more deeply into the rabbit hole when I understand. And I and, and generally speaking, I don't help myself. That kind of busy minded, concerned processing and analysis of the future generally does not yield the kind of constructive path forward that I'm looking for. It it just kind of it just burdens me. It burdens me and distresses that it just amplifies the feelings of distress more and more. So what we what what we're looking to explore here is this kind of simple truth that our feelings are going to are coming not from the world around us in a direct sense. They're coming from an internal kind of flow. And we're subject to all kinds of flow. Every single human being in this world is on the on is on the is on the receiving end of an ongoing flow of a very simple, beautiful, profound kind of divine energy. And that divine energy includes the possibility of warm and trusting feelings. It includes the possibility of distressing feelings. And the opportunity is to see the truth about our experience and to see the truth that's kind of behind the veil of this world that 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 kind of conceals that simple truth. This world is a world where there is a tremendous opportunity to see the the truth behind the veil. So as I'm encountering the feelings that I'm having, I get to ask myself a simple question. What what do I know is what what do I know about these feelings? Like what 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 what's what's true about my psychological experience? It feels very compelling that this past event is the source of of distress right now. This mistake I made. Um, it feels very compelling that this person's actions are the actual source of my feelings in this moment. But I know something about that. This conversation, this this discussion, is very much to explore the truth behind the, those feelings. Not so much. I don't have here an offer of a technique per se. If you just listen to this a certain number of hours, then you will uh, see this. But it is true that we do see things. We do glimpse. We do glimpse behind the veil. We do get uh, awakened to this truth. And then, of course, we forget it. And it's a tremendous opportunity to stay with this exploration, to stay with this inquiry, this simple inquiry about what, what is true about our feelings. Um, and it's so powerful. It's so powerful when a person recognizes that he feels the feelings that he has, but those feelings are not being created by the world around him. He acquires a level of psychological freedom that is precious, just beyond precious. He, he can be in his life. He can have the feelings that he feels, and he need not run from them or react to them with kind of aggression or depression or anxiety. He can be in those feelings, feel the pleasure of them, feel the discomfort of them, and allow those present the presence of those feelings and stay, stay in his life. He gets to stay in his life. And then of course he gets to see what's on the other side of those of those feelings, that kind of flowing and evolutionary experience that we're having, we get insights. It's just a precious, precious thing that as we find the courage and the understanding to be in our lives with unconditionally, regardless of the feelings that we're feeling, it we evolve. New feelings show up. 
new understanding arises and we have the ability to be in our lives in a new way. Not only in our lives, we have the ability to be in our lives and in the lives of people around us. There is not a person in this world that is that doesn't get frightened by his or her own flow of feelings. And when such a person becomes frightened and they encounter someone who who's seen something about the nature of our feelings, oh my goodness, what a resource and what a blessing. Just the presence without ever having to discuss it or talk about it or explain it. If I'm distressed and I encounter someone who knows something about his own inner world, his psychological well-being, oh my gosh, it's such a such a blessing. It's such a pleasure to be able to to talk to such a person, to share my myself with such a person, to be in the presence of such a person, because I sense that he trusts in the he trusts that life is safe. I feel that he feels life is safe, and I can I can be me without having not only to be frightened of my own feelings, but to be concerned with, wait, he's concerned about my feelings. Like there's such a such a blessing. Such a blessing that such that that a person who knows this truth, that person is a blessing to the people around him. A tremendous resource. So as you're listening to this and as you're discovering and exploring your psychological well-being and your safety, know that you are developing your own capacity to be a resource to others. It's a tremendous thing. So today's topic I mentioned is um, is. Uh, big heart, small heart. And it's the idea that our heart is kind of a metaphor for the flow that flows through us. And there are times where that the flow that flows through us is a more of a more constricted quality. We feel life feels tighter, life feels more narrow, life feels more difficult. And the times where our heart flows in a more expansive manner, the energy that flows is a more expansive consciousness. And let's be clear, it's, I, it's, it seems to me that it's, one is not ideal and, and the other bad. It's not like one is good and one is bad. It's a fact that we will flow with both types of, 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 of hearts. But it's helpful to understand that that's what's happening. It's, it's helpful to understand that it's not the world around me that's shaping my distress and my peacefulness. It's my own heart. It's my own spiritual uh, portal of where and how this divine energy is showing up inside of me. Now, I want to read to you a fascinating uh, comment by the commentator Rashi on a verse in this week's Torah portion. This week's portion is called Chukas, and there's a point where the Jewish people experience tremendous distress, and they start to complain in a very significant way. And the verse says about them, listen to what it says. It says that the, um, the, the people traveled from a place called uh, Mount Hor, on the path of the uh, of the Sea of Reeds. And it says about them, V'tiksar nefesh ha'am badarach. The nation, the, the soul of the people became constricted on the way. V'tiksar nefesh ha'am badarach. The, the soul of the people of the nation became constricted along the way. What does that mean, that their soul became constricted? So Rashi comments as follows. Rashi says, Anything that is burdensome, that feels difficult to a person, 
it's appropriate. The language that's the language that's appropriate is the language of kitzur nefesh of a constricted soul. Any time, again, any time a person feels that something is burdensome and difficult to him, the appropriate language to describe that is kitzur nefesh, the constricted soul. Meaning that's the essence. The essence of his difficulty is not that there's a difficult event. The essence of his difficulty is that there is an experience of constricted nefesh, of constricted consciousness. And he, El Labrashi continues, Ke'adam, like a person, shatoreach ba'alav, that a burden comes upon him, ve'in daito rechava, his mind is not wide, it's not expansive, lekabal oso hadavar, to receive that matter. His mind is not expansive, sufficiently expansive to receive that matter. There isn't room in his heart to dwell there that pain. The, 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 let's, see that, let's see that again. That the nature of a person who has a constricted consciousness, what is he like? He's like a man who, a person for whom a burden comes upon him and his mind is, is not sufficiently expansive to receive that that thing, and there isn't room inside his heart to be with that pain. There isn't room in his heart to be with that pain. That's really, as we've discussed on many occasions, what a profound metaphor that your heart is experiencing a constricting and an expanding. The nature of the flow inside of us is that it's an expansive flow, it's a more constricted flow. That's just the reality of our consciousness. We're not the authors of that consciousness. We live in a world where the source of all life is making available this ongoing flow. It's constricting, it's expanding, it's constricting, and it's expanding. Now, we have an opportunity to understand that and to use our, our, our free will to remind ourselves to kind of look toward that truth, not in an aggressive or kind of controlling manner, just simply in a gentle and trusting and accepting manner that there is a spiritual truth that underlies all feelings, that our heart is opening and constricting, it's expanding and constricting. And what, what, is, it, what, is, the, what's, what is there to be understood about a person who experiences uh, a burdensome feeling in life? What, what can we say? What's true about this person who's experiencing uh, a feeling of distress and burdened? feeling of burden, what's true about that person is that his heart does not have sufficient room to be with that distress. The distress itself is not the problem. It's that his heart, there isn't room in his heart to be with that stress. That's amazing. It's a mind-boggling thing. It means to say that that, um, the events of our lives can be difficult. They can be challenging. But much more significant than the field, than the events themselves is the nature of our consciousness in the in in the face of those events. That's one. Now the second thing, in a similar nature, is that even the feelings, even the difficult feelings, even the painful feelings, even painful feelings themselves are not the actual decisive factor in our well-being or our our feeling in life. The painful feelings are themselves not the determinant of our having a nice life or a difficult life. We can have painful feelings. The question is, do we have room in our hearts to be with those painful feelings? 
a person, as we've described many times, a woman who's giving pain, who's giving birth is experiencing real pain. It's not a joke. It's not that she's pretending or making up or imagining that she's experiencing pain. The pain of contractions are real. But what's the difference between a woman who understands that she's experiencing birth and a woman who does no, no knowledge of birth? She's just undergoing the pain of contractions without knowing anything about birth and that there's a baby on the way out. Oh, my goodness, that woman is living in terror. There's no room in her life for these contractions. This, these contractions are completely unwanted and unwelcome and misunderstood. And, and there's just absolute uh, terror, terror rejection of them. And the woman who is understanding and knows about, pain, about childbirth, she's, it, it's a, it hurts. It really hurts. But there is room in her life. There's room in her consciousness for the presence of these painful feelings because she understands she has a, they're safe. She knows they're good. She knows she's not, not, not a, not an intellectual. There's a, there's a, a recognition. I, I know that I am undergoing something that's part of life, that's healthy, that's, that's fundamentally good, even as it, it, it hurts very much. The, the challenge of a, of a person who's, at risk of, of really losing themselves is not the pain that it's not the pain. The pain itself is not the source of the risk. The pain is the inability to live with that pain, that my heart be small, that I, I, I don't see or acknowledge that there's an ability to be with that pain. That's the real risk and the danger. And again, even then it's not, there's nothing that we need to do there's nothing missing from our ability to be in those painful moments in a fundamental way. We could be with them. It's just that it's a misunderstanding. It's a lack of understanding. The pain of our lives are, the pains of our lives are, are, are things that we could be with unto themselves. They're not, uh, they're not inherently dangerous. It's the misunderstanding of that pain that is truly the real, the real challenge. That's the real challenge. Again, the words of Rashi, the, 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 the essence of a person with a constricted soul is someone for whom uh, his, his, his understanding is narrow. He doesn't have sufficiently broad understanding to be with that challenge. There's no, there's no place in his heart to live to reside together with that pain. The pain is there, but he can't be with the pain. He has to escape his own life. That's a recipe for some difficulties, for possible escapes or or addictions or some really unhealthy behaviors. The inability to, he can't be with the pain of his life. But the good news is that we can. We can always be with the pain of our lives because the pain itself is not the actual uh, it's not truly the source of the, dis- dis- the debilitating stress. The pain itself is not the debilitating stress. It's the misunderstanding. Now, it's fascinating to consider just a few words forward in this chapter. This is chapter 21, verse uh, 4. Just a few verses later, we get a real beautiful insight into kind of what's a, a, a kind of a corollary to, to the constricted consciousness, the Jewish people, one of the things that they're upset about is they're very upset with the mana. They don't like it. It says the nafshenu, katsa, our, our soul is disgusted, 
with this bread that's uh, cloquel, the Hebrew says. Our souls are disgusted by the manna. And the fact that they call it the lechem ha-klokel, Rashi explains what is it, what do they mean when they say that it's this lechem, this bread that is, it's so light, it's so insignificant. Klokel comes from the word kal, it means it's so light, it's so insignificant. Rashi explains that their real complaint is that they're bothered by the fact that the bread of the desert, the bread, the miraculous manna, was a bread that a food that was completely absorbed into their physical into their physical being. There was no need to eliminate. They did not use the bathroom for all the years that they traveled in the desert and they ate the manna. There was no need to eliminate. There was no waste. That was fishy to them. That was discomforting to them. They wondered to themselves, this is something, there's something wrong with this bread. We, you know, what's what was wrong with the bread? That they're that they didn't have a, a, a bigger role. Their role was kind of out of the picture. The, the normal process of, a, of what we're familiar with with eating is that there's, a, uh, there's food that has nutrients and it also has food parts that are unhealthy that need to be expelled. And our body undergoes this rigorous process and then we eliminate what's not useful in the, in the food. The, the 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 mana was not was of a was of a quality that it needed no processing it needed no um elimination in the way we're familiar with and the Jewish people were bothered by that really that the the food that we eat is there's like it's just some kind of weird you know it's like it's not what's it accomplishing if our role is not more significant it must be that there's something that is insignificant about this whole experience and in a sense, I, I, I see the connection there that we, we become overly concerned for our role in managing our lives, our role in making and maintaining the quality of life or the feeling that we want. We get, we get involved. I'll speak for myself. I can get overly concerned and involved with, am I having the right mood? Am I not having the right mood? And I want to play a bigger role. It's my, it's on me. It's on me to make the mood that I want to have or that it's it's really up to me. And in placing that role on my own lap and kind of claiming to myself, if it's important, it's because I'm making it. I'm overlooking the beauty and the magic of what is such a gentle and divine set of gifts. It's possible in the same way that the Jewish people, they, they denigrated the mana for the, the degree to which it did not require their active involvement, it's possible for us to overlook the well-being that we have that's not as a, as a function. It's not, we didn't, we're not making our well-being, and maybe there are times where we overlook that. If we didn't make it, if we didn't slave away at it and cause it, then it seems to us almost as if it's not there. There is so much well-being in our lives. There's just the average human being, whether he's depressed, whether he's experiencing anxiety, whether he's experiencing all, all kinds of difficulties, even, the, even in his life, even in her life, there is so much well-being that is easy to overlook. And in overlooking it, we kind of denigrate it. And we think to ourselves, no, real well-being is the well-being that comes from having amassed a fortune or having amassed a tremendous popularity or having amassed tremendous skills or having amassed tremendous uh, self-discipline. It, it's up to me. If well-being is going to be in my life, it's going to be because I've slaved away and slogged myself and exerted myself. But what about the well-being that you have that you didn't make? 
What about the miraculous gift of the mana, this divine sustenance that's so beautiful and so wondrous that you don't need to do anything, and yet it's still tremendously nourishing and, and sustaining? The real opportunity and challenge is just the ability to acknowledge that, to acknowledge how much well-being there is in our lives that we didn't make, that we didn't slog away at and slave away at, and yet it's still there. So in sum, we have uh, uh, this beautiful heart that expands and contracts. The difficulty of our lives doesn't come from the expansion and contraction. It comes from not seeing more clearly the nature of how that expansion and contraction works, not by our own doing, but simply because it's the way that this world is being created moment to moment. And our capacity to acknowledge and be grateful for the wisdom and the well-being inherent to our lives, even the stuff that we didn't create, like the mana that didn't need our direct involvement, that's a, a, a such a valuable ingredient in seeing and partaking of the well-being that that is so real it's so part of our lives right now unconditionally without having to do anything of expertise there's so much well-being in our lives already <laughs>